you don't mind, after, in honor of the people that moved forward, I'm going to step down here. Because I know what it's like in these front three rows to go, <laughs> to look up. And it's kind of hard to do that. So I'm going to stay on the ground floor and talk. Uh, I like being closer to you in the first place. I kidded the young ladies here at the front. They're so close I can touch them. So beware. I may come that direction. I remember the first time that I preached in VCBC and I took off my coat and I started down the aisle. <clears throat> I could see people leaning back to try to get away from me. They were scared to death I was going to do something. Uh, I won't, I promise you. Okay. Several months ago, I had the privilege of visiting uh, Cuba. And I had an opportunity to be on the island to visit the church leaders in Cuba. Incredible movement of God on that island. And God is multiplying and reaching and reaching up into the hills where churches meet together barefooted in dirt floors in small places. And they meet in city halls and they meet in borrowed locations and they meet in open parks and they meet everywhere they possibly can gather to proclaim the message of Christ and to hear what God is doing. I remember preaching in a room that was probably about uh, the center of this room and back about two-thirds of the way, and it was packed with about 175 people in that space, and they refilled it four times consistently. They would clear it out and refill it, clear it out and refill it, clear it out and refill it. The pastor and I would go up, drink a cup of tea, come back down and start again. Go up, drink a cup of tea and come back and start again. God was doing an amazing work in that country. But there was something that I heard from them that touched my heart in a, in a very unique way. I asked them if they were going to be excited about freedom of religion. When Castro and his regime passed away, and finally, they could move to a system that would allow for the freedom of religion and the freedom to proclaim the message, and they would have no problems getting building permits, and they would have no problems beginning to, to stretch out and do and build even a stronger church. And I remember their response. No, 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 no. We don't want that. And I was kind of dumbfounded. I asked them why. And they said, because we don't want to lose what we have. When people have freedom, when they have everything, the temptation is so great to forget who gave it to them. And the temptation is so great to become the possessors instead of the stewards of what God has provided. To become those that are in power versus those who are giving away. And I was dumbfounded by that. And I, I went back to the Scripture and I began to look at the Scripture and say, what is it that are the temptations of the prominent, the temptations of those that are successful, that seem to ring in the ears of us who are here in our world? I, I laugh oftentimes when I, when I get into a discussion with some of the people that I'm around these days, the young adults and the the youth that I talk with and as I spend time with, they've got a phrase that I oftentimes hear, oh yeah, that's a first world problem, not a third world problem. <laughs> and you suddenly begin to hear the difference of perspective that comes from the first world versus the third world. You begin to hear what you think about as valuable and necessary and have to have. How many of you have the latest electronics, the latest gadgets, the latest phones, the Samsung 4s, and the, 
the, the, the, the iPhone 555. I've seen iPhone 6 now, so I'm waiting to see it arrive on the scene. How many of us have those things and say, gotta have it. Gotta possess it. Gotta be the one to show it off. Gotta be the one that uses it. And how many of you have made other choices? I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. I've never tried to preach 13 chapters in one day. So uh, we may be here a while. No, (laughs) I'm joking with you. If you'll look at chapters 27 or 37 all the way to chapter 50, you'll hear the story of Joseph. You'll see the story from his birth, his young adult life, all the way through his death. The legacy of of his life is in the last few verses of the book of Genesis. It reads like this, verses 22 of chapter 50 of the book of Genesis. It reads, Now Joseph stayed in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Now for some of us, that's not far away. Okay? And Joseph saw the third generation of Ephraim's sons. Can you imagine your great, great, Grandchildren, you get a chance to see them. Incredible impact. How many of you know the name off the top of your head of your great, 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 great grandfather or grandmother? Isn't it interesting? I I would imagine that there are a few of you here who studied your family history and go, yes, I know, I know, I know that. But the vast majority of us do not even know their names. And yet they are the reason we're here. They are the reason that we have arrived at this particular place. And we do not even know their name. Now Joseph had the opportunity to see to the third generation of Ephraim's sons and also the sons of Makar and the sons of Manasseh were born to Joseph, on Joseph's knee. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely take care of you. And bring you up from this land to the land which he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely take care of you, and you shall carry my bones up from here. And so Joseph died at the age of 110 years, and he was embalmed and placed in a coffin in Egypt. That's the way he died. Now, I want to suggest to you That as I look at this particular story, Joseph's story, the children of Israel would have died had it not been for the decisions Joseph made. The children of Israel would have died. They They would have starved to death. There would have been no food. There would have been no water for them. They would have not been able to find their way out. They would have died of starvation. And the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have ended except for Joseph. One person's decision. One person's decision to be obedient to the call of God saved the nation and saved the people and continued a lineage in which he's not even listed. When the children of Israel talk about their forefathers, they talk about who? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob No comment about Joseph. Joseph's story is hidden away in these 13 chapters of the book of Genesis, and yet the lineage and the makeup of the children of Israel 
are dependent upon His choices. I want you to look at four decisions that He made that I think are decisions each one of us must make when we face the affluence and the success that we in the first world deal with. When we deal with freedom, we have four decisions we need to make. They're not decisions that you make in the midst of your affluence. They're decisions that you make before you get there. They're decisions you make in your young adult life. They're decisions you make when you're 17 years of age and you begin to move forward and you continue to make that same decision throughout your life. The first decision I would call your attention to, and the first decision that I see taking place is, that he made the decision to be faithful to the purpose for which he was created, to which he was called. He became faithful to that which he was called. Now, what was he called to be? Abraham and his original calling, when, when God called him out in Genesis chapter 12, he records those words, and I will make you a blessing. I will bless you in order that you might be a blessing. I'm going to give to you in order that you might give to others. That you might be an encouragement, a strength, an empowering, a benefit to those that are around you. That you might lift others up rather than yourself because I have lifted you up. I have chosen to come into your life I have chosen to come into your existence. I have chosen you as a person. I have sought you out even though you disrespected and dishonored me and chose not to follow me. I have chosen you and sought you out. I have walked on the face of the earth in that area. I have lived a sinless life. I have died on a cross. I have rose again. I have sent the Spirit to be with you for eternity. And I have gone to prepare a place for you in heaven to give you an eternal hope. And in that, you are a blessed people. You are a forgiven people. You are an accepted people. You are a chosen people. And as a result of that, will you make the decision to follow me? Will you make the decision to be a blessing to me? You think about what he did. He loved his father. He was known as a young man who loved his father, who honored his father, who respected his father, who was one of his father's favorites. He was known as a man who in the midst of slavery chose to benefit an Egyptian slave owner, Potiphar. And he chose to take care of his family. He honored him. He blessed him by protecting his family in spite of his wife's decisions. He chose to be a blessing to a baker and to a cup bearer in the midst of prison when he had God speak to his heart and he told them what would take place in their life. He chose to take on the role in Egypt of a leader in which he could provide for the needs and the hunger of hundreds of thousands of people out of obedience to God, when he was put in power, he was seen as a just man, a kind man, a generous man, a man who provided for others. He made the decision, first and foremost, to be a blessing. What is the choice of your life? Is the choice of your life today to be a blessing to others 
or to have a good life. To have a comfortable life. To have a safe life. To have a secure life. Or to invest in others to be a blessing to them. You see, the challenge that David, that Joseph faced was to be satisfied in what he had and never invest in another. To suffer his punishment and never invest in another. To wallow in the self-pity of being put in the slave market, of being sold by his brothers, of being betrayed. He could have lived in the midst of that, but instead he chose to be a blessing to other people. And when he reached that stage, when he was the number two man in all of Egypt, he chose on a daily basis to invest in the needs of other people rather than to protect his own position. You see, that temptation comes quickly. How will I spend that $10 God has given me? How will I spend that $100 that God has provided for me? How will I use my house? How will I use my car? How will I use my education? How will I use to be a blessing? Can I tell you, I sat in the chambers of or City Hall in Richmond and I listened to three different religious representatives plead for the right to have their own property and to be treated as just common landowners so they could sell their property at the highest level. You know what the question of the city councilman was? Tell me what benefit you have been to our city. Please tell me what benefit you have been so we can give you what you want. Because then it tells us what you will do with what you get. What benefit have you been? I sat and listened to them talk about rights and privileges and they ought to treat us a certain way. And all I heard was this one city councilman battling for their right to do what they wanted in the midst of a world that was saying, squash the church, and he was just saying, tell us what you do for us. Tell us what benefit you are to us. Do you remember what Abraham was called to do? I've blessed you in order that you might be a blessing. You see, the church, one person, the Josephs among us, can make a difference if they will choose to be a blessing. If they will choose to be a blessing. I think there's a second thing that Joseph had to battle with. Joseph had to battle with telling the whole truth. Have you ever noticed how we tell what we need to to protect ourselves? We let people know our side of the story. We provide our perspective. We we want them to know exactly what only what we know. And oftentimes it becomes destructive for us. Joseph made the choice to be faithful to the revelation God gave him. When God spoke to his heart, he told the truth. As a 17-year-old boy, it cost him a great deal. I had a dream, guys. I'm going to gather my brothers together. There's going to be 11 sheaves and they're going to all bow down to one sheep. And guess what? I'm the one. 
Can you imagine the brothers thinking about this arrogant little 17-year-old boy, the younger brother, saying something like that? You've had a dream? Yeah, right. You're on a power trip, kid, and we're going to squish that. And then he gathers his father together and he says, the star and the moon, the moon and the sun and the eleven stars, and they're all going to bow down. They're going to bow down to me. I can hear his father looking at him and says, star, uh, son and the moon, your mother, your father, and your brothers are going to bow down to you. Son, we need to talk to you about your life. <laughs> son, we need to talk to you about your attitude of respect and honor. We need to talk to you about this. And he says, I'm just telling you what the dream was, Dad. But he was never afraid to tell what the dream was. He's never afraid to say what God had said to him. In prison, he had a baker come to him. And he had a cupbearer come to him. And the cupbearer said, I've had a dream. <laughs> Joseph looked at him and he said, boy, you've had a great dream. He said, in three days, Pharaoh's going to restore you to your position and you're going to once again be the cupbearer of Pharaoh. When you get there, remember me. And then the baker came. Remember what the baker's story was? In three days, there'll be a celebration and Pharaoh will take your head and kill you. Hard story, easy story. Did he tell one and not the other? He told both. The cupbearer, years later, after he's been in prison, after Joseph has been in prison for two more years, hears that Pharaoh has had a dream. And Pharaoh's had this incredible dream, and they've asked for everybody to interpret the dream. And they call on Joseph to come. And he says, this guy did it right. He, he told the exact truth. Bring him in and let him interpret. <laughs> Joseph comes in and he hears his story. Now, Pharaoh doesn't like to be told that he's impotent, that he's about to see starvation occur on his watch, that he's about to see the destruction of his country on his watch, that he is the emperor, the ultimate authority. Nobody is stronger than he is. Yet Joseph chose to say, Seven years you'll have great wealth. Seven years will go well. But the next seven years, unless you choose to act, will bring destruction. Can you imagine an arrogant Pharaoh, the one who has been the ultimate ruler all of his life, listening to that story saying, oh, this man's foolish. No way this will ever happen. But Joseph told to tell the good with the bad. He chose to reveal the truth in the midst of his circumstance. He was faithful to the revelation of God. Hear me, young people, and hear me closely. God will speak to you. He'll speak to you in the midst of His Word. He'll speak to you in the midst of your time of prayer. He'll speak to you in the midst of the community. And he'll, you'll hear His voice very clearly. This is what God desires. Regardless of what the peer pressure is, regardless of what the circumstances are, this is what God has said we are to do. And this is what we are supposed to do. Will you find yourself faithful to His revelation? Will you obey Him? Or will you lean to the pressure? 
Will you obey Him? Or will you avoid the conflict? Will you obey Him? Or will you simply slip away in the shadows? And the voice of God that was intended to come from you is silent for the needs of the people. You see, Joseph was consistent to the revelation of God. I've been in conflicts in the midst of churches over the last 30 some odd years. I've been there for so long. You know what I've oftentimes wanted to say and have said? Can you show me where that is? What you're saying, can you show me where that is in the Scripture? Because I see where he says to forgive. I see where it says we are to confront. I see where it says we are to be holy. I see where it says we are to depend upon God. I see where it says I don't hear those words. You see, in the midst of power, you are tempted to do the same things you are tempted to do in the midst of poverty and impotence you are tempted to lie or deny the truth. Joseph chose to be faithful to the revelation of God. When God spoke, Joseph spoke. Good and bad. Sometimes perceived as arrogant, but truthful. Sometimes seen (laughs) as crazy, but truthful to the revelation of God. Let's go to the third thing. Sometimes we're tempted to forget who we are. We're tempted to deny our identity. We're tempted to hide. You remember how Abraham did that? You remember how Isaac did that? You remember how they would say, oh, that's my sister. Oh, that's my... They would deny their identity. Joseph never denied his identity. He's a Hebrew boy who believed in God, who told people he believed in God. He told people it was from God that the revelation came. It was from a holy God. And he was honored for that. He was seen not as some mystic, but as a child of God. He was seen as one who gave witness to the reality of who he followed. He would constantly remember who he was and whose he was. You see, there's a difference between witnessing to try to convert a person in their thinking and witnessing because it's a reality of your life. When I have been touched the most, it has been by the reality of what God saw and did in the life of a person. I remember being in northern Germany preaching a message and in the back of the room walked the leader, one of the authors of psychocybernetics in Germany, one of the incredible thinkers in Germany, walked into the back of the church and I prayed and I said, ah, my chance. I'm going to convince him. I'm going to debate him. I'm going to get him. And he stood there in hardened silence. And then an engineer from our team simply got up And he began to tell the story of how Jesus had changed his life. And in the midst of his humility, in the midst of his authenticity, 
in the midst of the reality of who he was, he told the people what God had done. I looked in the back of the room and that famous author was beginning to weep. And as, I, as the service came to a close, I saw that author make his way to that engineer and said, can you tell me how I can have what you have? You see, it is not about who we become or what we are. It is the identity that God gives us as His children, forgiven people. We are a chosen people. We are a forgiven people. We are a holy people. We are a set-apart people. We are an honest people. We are a forthright people. Joseph chose to tell his story wherever he went. I will never forget the message. In the, I cannot imagine what took place when Joseph's father was dying. And it came time to bury him. And Joseph goes to Pharaoh, an Egyptian who had no idea about the religion or the practices of this man, Joseph. But he respected Joseph. And Joseph said, I need to go bury my father. I'll be gone seven days. I won't be able to do what you want me to do. For I have a responsibility to my father. I'm his son. I'm a child of God. And this is what we do. And Pharaoh chose to let him go. And it's interesting who went with him. Kings and leaders and all kinds of people journeyed with Joseph to the death of his father and the graveside of his father as he was obedient to the task that he was called to do. He remembered his identity. Let me close with this. Sometimes in the midst of our affluence, we get tempted to believe we did it. Our brain, our skill, our ability, our time, our work ethic, our task. We fail to realize that it was God at work allowing us the privilege of doing that. But for a brief moment, we could be the ones who are gone. I got a letter from a friend of mine this week whose father was a healthy, avid sportsman suddenly began to not feel so good, went to the hospital, discovered blockages in both arteries, 99%. They did open-heart surgery on him. When the doctor came to visit my friend, he said, I've never met a man that was as healthy and as proper as this man. He did everything right. His genetics were just wrong. And he nearly died. Sometimes you can do it nearly absolutely perfect. And it's still not enough. You've got to remember who is God. And what God can do. Notice what he says here. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die. But God will surely take care of you. God will surely take care of you and bring you up from this land to the land which He promised on earth to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. In those short words, Joseph said probably more 
than most of us can imagine. He said this to a family who had betrayed him. He said this to brothers who had sold him into slavery. He said this to people that had hurt him the worst. He said this to a group of individuals who were a part of the plan of God. He said this to them. He said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. What you intended to do that was destructive, God had a plan in to make me a person that I needed to be to get us where we needed to be. You see, I live in a small parenthesis of life's timeline. There was Abraham, there was Isaac, there was Jacob, and this is my time. But God is forever. God will last for eternity. And what He said to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob will be fulfilled not in my lifetime, but in yours. Because God is faithful. This is the man who had lived his life most often by himself. But he had chosen to remember that it was God who was the final authority of his life. Not himself. And as a result, he looked to the children of Israel and he said to them, God's going to finish his plan. He'll do it without me. I'll be buried. But I am so sure of this. Embalm me and put me in an open tomb because I want you to dig me up and take me and bury me where we will one day live. He never forgot who God was. God had promised it. God would fulfill it. It would be years and years later. They would go back to find the broken bones of Joseph and they would dig them up and they would load them up on a cart in the middle of the night surrounded by a million plus descendants that the children of Israel had grown to to run after seven plagues had hit Pharaoh's house after they had been committed to slavery to the Pharaoh, they would dig his bones up. And what he had said would happen, happened as those children of Israel walked into the wilderness. They wandered for 40 years, but ultimately they walked into the promised land. And they took the land that had been promised to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. God fulfilled His promise. Generation after generation after generation after generation through those who would not forget the revelation of God, the identity of who they were, the authority of the Father, and the purpose for which they were created. As we begin a new year, as we begin and to get ready to launch into a new year, may I encourage you to walk in the purpose of God. He has created you to be a blessing. This year, in your classroom, in your business, in your community, in your homes, in your church, wherever you are, commit yourself to be a blessing because He has blessed you. Commit yourself to find ways to serve rather than be served. Commit yourself to find ways to love rather than to hate. To forgive rather than to hold grudges. To heal rather than to remain broken. To wonder in the 
evidence of building up rather than tearing down. Find your way to be a blessing as an individual. Let it be said of you that you are like Joseph. You didn't remember the pain. You didn't remember the betrayal. You didn't remember the hate. You didn't remember the brokenness. What you remembered was that God had a plan and He called you out to be a blessing. And because He believes in you, because He's present with you, because He's the authority in your life, make the choice to be a blessing. To spend the time with Him. Spend the time in prayer. Spend the time in Bible study with each other. Spend the time in reading His Word. And when He speaks to your heart, be truthful to what He says. Speak it. Share it. Be honest with that revelation. Here's the key. Never forget who you are. Never forget who you are. You're a child of God. You're chosen by Him. You're so loved by Him that He died for you. You're a forgiven person. You're a person of value. You're a person that He wants to invest in. You're a person that He believes in. Never forget who you are, regardless of what people may say. Whether it be the ridicule in a school, whether it be the come down from people that want to put pressure on you to do things that are ungodly, whether it be in a business world where they're calling you out to do things, whether it be in a church meeting, never forget who you are. Your identity in Christ. And then ultimately, here's the key. Remember who the ultimate authority is. God. They can kill you like they did many people in that first generation of Christians. They can throw a bomb. They can destroy your reputation. They can do a lot of things. But they can't take your soul. They can't take your eternity. They can't take away the presence of God. They can't take away the reality of who you are. Always stand realizing who that authority is. Even when you're by yourself, remember, He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the grave and He is Lord. And He will accomplish His purpose. And that which He promised, He will fulfill. I've gone to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and get you so that I can take you and you can be where I am for eternity. If I don't go away, I can't send the Spirit to be a witness to you. I'm going to send the Spirit to walk with you, to be a constant companion for you. Everywhere you go, you'll never be alone. His Spirit will be with you. These things have I written that you might know that you have eternal life. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. I've given you my word. Trust it. You're not alone. You're not alone. Our Lord did not leave us alone.
So as you go, walk in faith. And don't let riches take you down. And don't let poverty take you down. Because neither one are the ultimate authority in your life.